Okay, now I'm gonna start. I mean, I mean, for me, this is not a partisan issue. The people try to make it a partisan issue. It's really not. It's just, um, I mean, our country and our constitution clearly says, uh, I mean, all through history, there's no unilateral rule in a constitutional republic. I mean, regardless of what party you're in, if you're in a party, not a party, it doesn't matter. There's no unilateral rule in a constitutional republic. That's what we are. This is Under the Dome. On today's episode, we're taking a closer look at the North Carolina state legislature's attempt to limit the governor's powers in a state of emergency. For the News and Observer, I'm Lucille Sherman, your host for this episode of Under the Dome. It's Friday, June 25th. Today, we're talking with Representative John Bell, the North Carolina House Majority Leader and the sponsor of a bill that would limit the governor's powers in a state of emergency. That's significant because legislative leadership doesn't often sponsor legislation. And if they do and when they do, it's a signal that it's really, really important to them and also a signal that it's likely to make it all the way through the legislature. Today's fun fact of the day is also that Representative Bell owns a Yorkie and does CrossFit. So happy Friday. Representative John Bell, thanks so much for joining me today. I've got all the all the time in the world for you today till You do? Till 11:15. <laughs> okay. I want to talk to you about the governor's powers in a state of emergency. For the last year, the Republican-led General Assembly has sought to sort of pull those powers back for the governor as we've been through a pandemic. So, this year the legislature passed a bill at the end of March that would somewhat limit the governor's powers. What would that bill do exactly? So the bill that we passed really doesn't limit his power, and, and, and it's not a partisan issue. What what we aim to do is put a more accountability and more voices at the table. Uh, I believe that, that more heads are better than one, and you know our constitution, our state constitution, and our United States constitution clearly say there's no unilateral rule in a constitutional republic. And when you've got, I want the governor to have his executive authority. That's what he was elected to do by the people. Regardless if I voted for him or not, he was duly elected by the citizens of the state of North Carolina to serve as governor. I respect that. I respect his position. But when you circumvent the system, when you try to find loopholes, that way you can push your unilateral power that's a problem. That's not the way our constitution was set up. It's not the way that our, that our state runs. Um, even here in the General Assembly, like I've talked to you before, I can't go in and say, hey, I want to pass this bill today and that's what we're going to do. No, I have to have 61 votes to do that. And so uh, and, and the governor should be should be held accountable with that. And when you look at the way he's handled the executive orders, he's used the Council of State when necessary, but then found ways to go around it when the Council of State pushed back and said, hey, you probably don't want to do that. So, um, so that's what our, our bill aimed to do. It, it aimed to tighten the loopholes that are in our, our state constitution and basically say, look, you know, in a state of emergency, the governor has full authority to call emergency declaration, do what he needs to do. But uh, after a period of time, the council of state comes to the table and they all agree to move forward together. So the Senate has passed their own version mm-hmm. of the legislation, which is slightly different and hasn't taken up the House version of the legislation. So both bills are just kind of waiting. Fair. Um, what? How does the Senate's bill differ from the House bill? Well, the, the, 
two things. One, the Senate version included delay, you know, made it come back before the legislature. I personally don't think that it needs to come back before the General Assembly. I think that our version was very clear and said that we believe that the Council of State not only has the authority, but has the, the, the understanding. Um, they're statewide elected officials made from both parties. Uh, they, they, have the, they have the understanding and execution to do that. We, uh, that needs to be there. Um, the other issue with the, that I have with the Senate's proposal is that it was put in a budget. I don't, I don't think the budget, that, that's not a place for, for that to be. I think it needs to be a standalone bill. It, it shouldn't be tied to anything else. So the Senate's version of the bill says the Council of State, all the other members on the Council of State, have to, the governor has to seek concurrence for a state of emergency after a certain amount of time. And then it has to go to the General Assembly and the General Assembly has to approve the state of emergency? Yeah, and I haven't really dove into, but, but that, that's the gist of it, you're exactly right. Um, well, what happens, we're not in session. So, you know, as long as we're in session, that's, that, that works because we're here. But logistically, if the General Assembly had to get involved and we're out of session and we've done sign and die, we'd have to call ourselves back into session or the governor would have to call it. You know, when you're dealing with a state of emergency, to me, that's too much time. You have to be able to make decisions. The, the governor, by constitutional authority, is allowed to make some of those decisions. Uh, he, he is supposed to include the Council of State in some of these decisions, and that's where it needs to fall under. Uh, we shouldn't have to be called back in. To, to, to do what the Council of State should, should, well, should and can already do. In April and March and May, the Senate and House's bills, both their versions were just kind of sitting there because mm-hmm. each chamber didn't want to take up the other chamber's bill. So then you sent a letter to the governor asking him for more information about why at the time we had been under a state of emergency for 450 days. What was your intention in sending that letter, and what was kind of the thought behind it? Well, so so you saw other states in their state of emergency. Uh, you saw uh, South Carolina in the state of emergency, and just to the north of us, you saw Virginia in their state of emergency. That's Republican governor in South Carolina, Democrat governor in in Virginia, and and our question was: Is okay, governor, you're coming up on a, a self-imposed deadline. Uh, are you going to extend the, the emergency declaration or are you going to, to say, hey, you know what, the emergency declaration is over, let's, let's move forward. And so we sent a letter just basically asking, um, do you have a plan to end it? What is your plan? And do you plan on continuing this or can, can, you, can you just communicate with us? And mm-hmm. uh, we, We've obviously turned a corner. Uh, cases have dropped significantly down. Hospital rates have dropped um, in some places to zero. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we survived the economic backlash. Uh, we need to fully open our businesses. We, we've got through school, you know, we, we've done a bunch of hurdles. Okay, we've been past the hurdles. What's your plan to see this thing? Because we want to join in and help you with it. But um, at this point in time, we've received nothing. Now the Senate has proposed their budget, mm-hmm. which is like four or 500 pages. The Senate included a lot of policy inside the budget. They include lots of line items allocating money for different things. But then, like you said, they included this provision that's their version of the bill in the budget. I don't understand why you're not interested in policy being in the budget, especially if it's policy that you're 
generally up for. Well, so even if I'm for the policy or not, the budget's the budget, and we should have and we should eliminate as much policy out of the budget. I've said that for years, uh, and, and and the Senate traditionally has always put more policy in their budget than the House side. You know, and I understand there's some policy that's going to be in the budget. Hey, I get it. I I believe in the system of government. I believe in the process on how a bill becomes law. I believe in the sanctity of of, of this body and the institution, and. Um, this is a bill that that deals with the constitutional authority of the governor and working with the council of state and just needs to be vetted independently in the in the budget um you know i want to i want to see the brody school of medicine funded and, and that, that's in the budget i want to see k-12 construction opportunities i want to see a lot of stuff in the budget and that's where that that stuff should be um i think we should eliminate a lot of the policy out of the budget and let's debate the policy separate in the budget that's just my personal philosophy what do you think will happen next when we're talking about emergency powers where do we go from here so i i hope we actually one i hope i get a response back from the governor that says hey you know this is why we're doing this at least provide me as a legislator some some clarity um to I, I think it's important that regardless of what this bill does, whether it moves, becomes law, or whatever, is that we have this conversation. Um, there's not a person living today that's been through a pandemic. And we just came through something that, you know, is, I mean, it's affected everybody in this state, everybody in this country, and everybody in the world. And so when you're dealing with something like that, every and it needs to be revisited on, hey, what did we do good? What did we do bad? What can we can improve on? Uh, because we do this already with hurricanes and national disasters. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what happens with this piece of legislation, we do need to look at how state of emergency is issued, how long they can be issued, and what's the proper route for them to 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 be in place or, or to be rescinded at the appropriate times. So I hope we do have the conversations because it's needed. More heads around the table are better. More, more discussion when we're dealing with issues like this, need, need, need to happen because there's livelihoods at stake. Representative John Bell, thanks so much for taking the time Thank to you. talk with Absolutely. me. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll be right back. Don Vaughn, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast to talk emergency powers, a topic that you are an absolute expert on. I wondered if you could tell me what the difference is between the legislature's approach to limiting the governor's powers this year compared to their attempt to do it last year? I'd say timing, really, and and politics, always politics. But um, in, in general, if you look at how when, uh, you know, emergency powers are in state law um, and how they came together in, uh, in the 70s and just how all of that works, it's a little bit of a mess, but I guess that's any sort of quote-unquote living document, right? <laughs> So it, in, in theory, it would be an opportunity as we're coming out of the pandemic, assuming everybody agrees we're coming out of the pandemic or, or past the pandemic or almost whatever you want to say it. Governor Cooper has said middle of a pandemic for his, his reasoning. But um, there's a time where you can look going forward about changing these statutes and clarifying things about how this works in state of emergency because we haven't been here before. So that in theory is what would be going on now, where last summer it was we don't like that you're closing this. We want this to change immediately, and we'll go ahead and change the law too. But our main goal is to open bars, to open restaurants at full capacity, to open, it was all kinds of bowling alleys, I think was like one bill. Um, and it was things they just threw 
one after another, Cooper. And of course, he vetoed them all because it's against what, you know, he is allowed to do by by state law that he believed he was allowed to do. And that was then. This is now. Nothing's closed. Um, The only thing left are the mass mandate for uh, schools, childcare settings, prisons, um, healthcare settings. And that's what's under the executive order. That's under the state of emergency. So that's what we have now is a, a chance to maybe overhaul the general statutes if, if that's your general goal. If you want to also not like what Cooper is doing, that's also the time. So it sounds like last year the legislature talked a lot about the economy and reopening businesses. And now they think hindsight is 2020. The governor shouldn't have this specific power and we want to change that. Well, the other thing is, is that the governor's a Democrat and these are yes. Republicans that want this. There's no way to remove that equation. Would that be different if it, if they were all the same party? I mean, come on. We all know the answer to that. Yeah. The other question I've had just as a North Carolinian and not as a reporter is what are the reasons behind the state of emergency still being in place? There's a combination of factors. Some of it is what the state of emergency allows you to do. So there are, so Cooper has said repeatedly that it's about drawing down federal funds when asked for more specifics. He's mentioned the National Guard. Um, When South Carolina's governor, McMaster, ended their state of emergency um, just the past couple weeks, they apparently lost some emergency SNAP benefits. So there there is federal money at play. Um, What Cooper doesn't say very specifically, but it is in the answer, if you've listened to him talk enough and know how he says things. Um, is the mass mandate because in every executive order and starts with North Carolina under a state of emergency and you have these powers and it includes restrictions like the like the mass and the last time asking about asking him Dr. Cohen about the mass until the CDC changes the guidance on that that that's what they're doing. So one the governor can't issue executive orders like mask mandates without the state of emergency being in place? Certain kinds of ones with the authority that you're given under a state of emergency. Okay. And two, the governor has also expressed that part of the reason why the mask mandate still needs to be in place is because of variance, right? Well, it's power. It's having that that power and that control and the ability to say, you know, all of a sudden North Carolina's COVID cases have blown up again and I want to restrict this again. So if you're already in the state of emergency and this has been going on, it's much easier politically to say, I need to issue this order because of this, because of whatever worry he has of something changing, then to have completely ended it and then say, surprise, North Carolina, I'm putting this in again and I'm adding all of this and you better listen to it. So a lot of it is we're already in this and it's easier when there's like some restrictions still and to add things than to end it all and then to, to restart something. And how are people going to ask? Because all those press conferences the past year is how are you going to enforce this and get people to do what you want? So Right. And the governor has also said state of emergencies trigger price gouging laws, federal disaster support, and then you mentioned the National Guard is another reason why. That's what he said as far as helping with vaccine distribution. Um, I mean, a lot of this, what comes with a state of emergencies are things like um, hurricane response and like what you need to pull for that. Um, so there's there's different money that way. 
I think that th- those are certainly factors, but um, I don't think there would be a way to have the the orders around that have come the past year outside of having that state of emergency. So once that's gone, you know what? How would how would you go back? I mean, certainly you can declare it again, but how would you how would you justify that? And so I think the federal money. Um, might not be as top of the top of the list, really. It's what the answer is, the public answer. Right. And the other thing I want to mention is that the legislature passed a few provisions in their federal coronavirus relief package last year and extended some of those things this year that last until the end of the emergency order. One of those things is a sweeping immunity provision for healthcare facilities and healthcare workers including nursing homes. I wrote about that recently, but that's one of the other things I think is at stake. Things like this, where healthcare facilities have broad immunity during the pandemic. That's really interesting. The whole immunity, liability for things through all of this has been, you know, a lot of this stuff has passed. And we're talking about the height of, you know, stop restricting my bowling alley. But then I remember on the Senate floor, they're like, yeah, let's like not have anyone liable for like pools and other things and whatever. And like no one even really debated it. And I was like, oh, okay, they're just like letting that. So I, mean, I feel like there are factors at play there that maybe won't come out until longer range or just gives a lot of people a pass, really. That's what's interesting is there are so many things at play with the state of emergency, but There are things like immunity provisions that are still in effect when some of the general public feels like they shouldn't still be in effect, which reminds me there are other things at stake beyond what I think we can even put our finger on. Yeah, I think there's little stuff in there that you'll see once it changes. And and the other factor, too, about ending a state of emergency is saying, all right, we're good. Yeah. All right, let's, you know, that's it. We're good. You know, (laughs) we're in South Carolina. They're already there. You know, Virginia also has a Democratic governor and Cooper has done a lot of things that Governor Northam has done. Um, He told people he would end it um, June 30th. So I don't know. We'll see if the CDC stuff changes, if whatever, you know, Cooper's many advisors um, decide and then there'll be some sort of some sort of announcement at some point or it'll just end and there won't be anything. It'll be a Friday 5 p.m. press release and nobody will care. You know, who knows? No one will even know. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, thanks, Don. I appreciate your time. Thank you. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and NC Insider, and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com newsletters. Thanks for listening.